Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Had an incredible October, and our whole theme was being a world changer and changing our world. And then we had Love Week right in the middle of the month. And of course, Hurricane Matthew kind of blew through here and left some damage. And we had groups going all over the low country, cleaning up yards and ministering in homes and families. And so it was just an awesome thing to be a part of. So uh, I want to thank you guys, everybody who helped, everybody who worked so hard, everybody who ministered and served somebody else. Thank you, thank you so very much for changing our world, changing our area and our community all around here. Take your Bibles out. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're trying to find out where the ringing is. They're working on it. Hopefully they'll find it sometime today. It's kind of getting on my nerves. I'm sure it is yours. My ears, things, things go off in my head all the time, but this is, I think, public for everybody. So we apologize for that. And they are working on it. We're talking about changing our world. You change, first of all, by sending. And we began this month as missions convention, sending people out all around the world. And uh, had a great missionary speaker, Joseph Gordon from India, stirred our hearts about sending. How shall they hear unless a preacher preaches? And how shall a preacher go unless he is sent? And then the next week we looked at being a world changer and what it meant for us that God wants to use you wherever he's placed you, at work, at home, in the neighborhoods, wherever it might be, God wants to use you somewhere to be a world changer. And we had entered into Love Week and we ministered to families all across the low country and some service projects and things of that nature, so that was exciting as well. And then the next week we talked about praying for world change, getting involved in intercessory Spiritual warfare, prayer changing, bringing down the kingdom of heaven on the earth as God's will decrees and, and, and seeing it done in the heavenly realms. And we talked about prayer and how important it is to pray. And then last week we've been looking at how we invest in changing our world. Now, let me just, just say something. Just, I'm just going to go off, off the, offline for just a minute here. Uh, You know, listen to me. One of the ways that we as believers can have an impact in our world very, very simply is to vote. It's your responsibility. It is by virtue of the fact that you are an American. Don't give me this business. I'm not really crazy about either candidate. Listen, they are both flawed. I will tell you I am flawed. We are all flawed. We are all seriously flawed. But the election is about our future and where we're going. The Supreme Court alone, we talk about four years, the the Supreme Court nominees that will be done in the next term will affect the next four decades, up to 40 years, 30 to 40 years, that person will have Supreme Court nominees who will sit on the Supreme Court. There was a time in years past when we had election cycles, I would give out voter guides. I'm not doing that this year because I think their stances are very clear. You can just see and know exactly where they're coming from. I will tell you, here is your voter guide right here. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's not what political party you are a part of. It is God's word. What does God's word say about life and the sanctity of life and the treasure of life and those kinds of things? Think about it very, very hard. And then do, pray about it. Pray for this election. Pray for this country. Pray for this nation. And then do your Christian responsibility and go vote. Just a little side note. Thought I'd throw that in. Let's stand together. Let's read God's word right now and see what the word of God has to teach us about investing in world change. Acts 1 and verse number 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jump down to chapter 2 and verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, 
And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there seemed like what be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them. And all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let us pray. Father, right now we come to you today. We need you. We need your power. We need to hear from heaven, God. We need you to move in our midst in a mighty way. God, pour out your spirit again and again and again on this generation, on us and on our children and our children's children. We need you in America. We need you in our world today. I pray, God, that we, your people, would be gripped with a sense of urgency that, that time is short and we've got to do all we can to reach the lost, to give to reach the lost, to speak to reach the lost, to go to reach the lost. Help us, we pray. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How, how many think we, we may be living in these last days? Let me see your hand. Just by showing. You look around. It's nuts out there in America. And uh, killings and violence and terrorism in our land the landscape is just incredible and I think some of us who have been around for a while just kind of doubt how much how much longer will it go on like this I heard it preached so much as a child growing up I grew up in church I had the privilege I was saved when I was very young and grew up in a strong great church my mom and dad had me there every single week and and it seemed like almost every Sunday we heard, this is before they had children's church. We, the kids were all with the parents, and we heard, I heard all the messages and, and caught some of it, not all of it, but caught much of it. And, uh, but I remember hearing sermons about the return of the Lord. And they were a regular topic of the pastor's messages and, or the evangelist's messages. And, and, and we would leave just, just trying, just, we'd repent every time we hear another sermon on the return of the Lord because we didn't want to be left behind and I remember, I remember coming home one day after school, and, and the car was in the driveway, but mom wasn't at home. And I, and I started looking around from room to room, and I went to the bedrooms, and I was in the bathrooms, and I'm banging on the doors, and I'm looking at every room in the house, in closets and everything, and mom's not there. And I just knew that the Lord had taken her, and I was left behind. And I had these visions of me taking the mark of the beast, of them getting a laser and scrawling upon my head, the number 666 or on my forehand. Or if I didn't want to do that, them coming along and dragging me out as a kid and, and putting me in the guillotine and chopping my head off. I could just see it all happening now. And my head just kind of rolling out in the basket as my body was flopping around. It was a terrible terrible day and, 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 and I, I remember it just very very clearly I, I remember starting to cry I got in a panic mode and I started to cry and weep and I had been left behind and then the door opened up mom comes waltzing in I'm saying where were you at well I was just at the neighbor's house up the street I'm home now and uh, but there was, was I just remember there was a sense that we lived in a in, in a in a feeling that God could come back at any moment we were gripped with that sense of urgency. I wonder if we've lost that sense of urgency. I do know from Scripture, the Word of God teaches us, and, and by the way, that was 54 years ago, that the reason God delayed is so most of you in the house today could come into the kingdom of God. Probably most of you have been saved in these last 54 years. Most of you are under that in age anyway. And so, so most of you, and so 1 Peter 3, 9 teaches us, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as you understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so the only reason that God hasn't come back up till this date is so that you could come into the kingdom of God, so that you could be saved, so that you could know Jesus Christ, so that you could have everlasting life. But there will come a day when his spirit will not always strive with mankind and he will return and he will come back and he will say the, the final chapter's been written, the last soul to be saved has been saved and it's time to come on home. We also see a foreshadowing 
of these great time and revival in the book of Acts. You say, Pastor, wait a minute, that was 2,000 years ago. How come you see it? What are you looking at? What do you see in the book of Acts that was a foreshadow of the return of the Lord? It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was what Joel had prophesied long before that. When Jesus was with the disciples after the resurrection, the Bible says that he went among them and did many signs and wonders and he spoke about things concerning the kingdom of God. And so keep in mind, for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is with his disciples after the resurrection talking about the kingdom. The kingdom that was there, the kingdom that was still yet to come, he spoke about the kingdom of God. And then he gave a promise. He says, you know what? I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Look at it. Read Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to verse 4. I want to show you something today. And on the occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them, go wait, hang out in Jerusalem, you will be baptized with and in the Holy Spirit. Now when when the disciples hear this, their mind goes back to a man, a prophet by the name of Joel. Joel had prophesied about this coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And remember what he says in Joel 2.28. He says, in the, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so they were looking for that day. They were looking for that time. And when Jesus begins to talk about that day is here, Jesus is going to pour his Holy Spirit out on all flesh. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to spread. But Joel also said something two verses later. He says, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and darkness. And then he says, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So in Joel's prophecy, he sees no gap between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the return of the Lord and the apocalyptic signs of the end of the age. Moon turns to blood, skies get dark, you you know all the stuff that's in the book of Revelation. Joel doesn't see that gap there. He sees the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it precedes the return or coming of the Lord. Okay, you got that? So it's no wonder when the disciples hear about the coming of the Lord, or or excuse me, when they hear about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that would precede the apocalypse, the return of the Lord, and the new heavens and new earth, uh, they begin to think, God, are you coming now at this time to set up your kingdom? Look at, if you would, verse number six. So they met together and asked, Lord, are you going to come, return, and restore your kingdom to Israel right now? Now you can see how they put that together. God, Jesus says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. Joel talked about it. Then he talked about the return of the Lord. And so they say, hey, does that mean you're coming back? Does that mean your new kingdom's coming right now? And look, look at what Jesus Christ answered. He said, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the time of my return is none of your business. Not for you to know. But you need power to live this life now. You need Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, power from on high to be my witnesses, to engage in the work I've called you to do. And he, and he, and he tells them that very, very directly. Now, Peter stands up then on the day of Pentecost. And I read about it to you in Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. The Holy Spirit's outpoured. The tongues of fire set on their head. There's a rushing mighty wind. They're speaking in other languages. And a crowd begins to gather in this temple area. Peter, seeing the crowd, stands up and begins to preach. Some of them said, these guys are drunk. They're they're talking in crazy languages. They're acting weird. There's something going on here. He says they can't be drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not yet drunk. And, And so he says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, who said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
This is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. But now what's happened? If this is the last days, why did that happen 2,000 years ago and we are still here on planet Earth? Let me tell you this. When the Holy Spirit is outpoured, it was the inauguration or the beginning of the last days. It was the beginning of the church age as we know it and God is still pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And he's still coming back. And he will return. And something amazing began to happen about 100 years ago. God began to pour his spirit. In fact, a little bit over that now, we go to the Azusa Street Revival. God begins to pour out his spirit again on all flesh. And we begin to see a repeat of what happened on the day of Pentecost. It began happening in Azusa Street, California, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Topeka, Kansas. And God began to pour his spirit out all around America. And people became filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And from there, it began to move and go around the world. And now God... God is literally pouring his spirit out around the entire world. And there are people being saved in the uttermost parts of the earth. And we are seeing in our generation a repeat of what God did on that first day of Pentecost. Isn't that exciting? Just, just another sign that is going to precede the return of the Lord in his apocalyptic glory. There are more people being saved in our generation than in any other time in history, including the history of the early church. There are more churches being planted every single day than in any other time in church history. The number of unreached people groups has gradually been shrinking and going down every single year as new Bible translations come out, as new missionaries go to these unreached people groups, uh, and God is reaching out around the world by his power and by his might. I want to tell you today, it is harvest time. God is bringing in his great and glorious, what I believe to be last day's harvest. That first outpouring occurred on the day of Pentecost. I want you to notice something with me if you would. Pentecost was a high, holy Jewish feast day. It was one of the three feasts they were all required to return back into Jerusalem. Thus you have Jews from every region of the then known Roman Empire. And so they've all come back, all speaking different languages, but they are all returning for the feast of Pentecost. Pentecost meant two things. It was a time of thanksgiving for the harvest. They were thanking God for the harvest that God had given them. It was around their feast cycle. It was around their harvest cycle, and so they're giving thanks. It also commemorated the 50 days after they're delivered through the Red Sea, and what happens, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He is there for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down with the law, and so Pentecost symbolized God giving the law and forming Israel as his people. He gives them their constitution and bylaws. And during this time, all male Jews, when they came back into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, or, or when they were, came from that area, the Bible says they were told to bring their tithes into the tabernacle or into the temple later. They would also stand up at the Feast of Pentecost and read from the book of Ruth. And they would read the entire book. Why read Ruth? Because Ruth is about the harvest. Ruth is about gleaning in the field. Ruth is about the kinsman, the kinsman redeemer, a man by the name of Boaz, who takes Ruth unto himself and redeems her from her poverty and her lostness. Ruth is a, a book about new life because you know that Ruth herself will give new life and give birth to the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they read this entire book on the day of Pentecost to celebrate the harvest. And he reminds them in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, listen to this. He says, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. Remember, Ruth starts out, they're in poverty, and she's all about gleaning at the corners of the field. Let me explain what that means. He says, Israel, when you go out and you plant your seeds and the harvest grows, 
I want you to go ahead and reap your harvest and keep it for your family. Bring the tithes into the temple, but you can keep the rest of the harvest for yourself, for your family. But don't harvest the four corners of the field. Leave a lot of grain standing there. Because if there's any foreigners, any people outside the house of Israel, any widows, any orphans, any poor, let them come through and freely glean from the corners of the field uh, so they might have food to eat. That was their welfare system. It wasn't a heavy taxation of 25, 15, whatever percent it is. They simply left the corners of their field. The poor could go in. They could also work, by the way, and they would work and bring in their own harvest from someone else's field, and yet they still worked. Notice that. Just some thoughts there of my own. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. He says, don't harvest all the field. Leave it for the fatherless and the widows so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand. Now he tells them something else. Not only when you leave the corners of the field for the foreigners, the strangers, those who need help, you bless them. But notice what he says here. When you leave the corners of your field, he says that God may bless you. When you give to the poor, when you give to the hurting, when you give to the work of the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you give, God blesses the giver. God blesses you. Leave the corners. For the needy, so they may reap and eat, so that in turn, God will bless the owner of the field. Are you, getting, are you tracking with me here? Follow me here. And then he says in verse 22 of the very same passage, Deuteronomy 24, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. He says the bottom line is all of Israel was at one time foreigners. You yourself were foreigners and strangers. And God saved you and redeemed you and called you unto himself. He said, that's why I leave the corners of my field. That's why I bring the first fruit of my increase into the temple. And he says, when you do that, God will bless you. So he is literally telling us in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus why we give to bring in the harvest. Why do I do it? Why? Because God set me free. Why? Because God saved me. Why? Because I was lost and going to hell and God in his grace saved me. How can I not but help but give? I was in bondage to sin. I was a slave in Satan's terrible, awful kingdom. I was in his kingdom of darkness. God saved me, brought out of that kingdom of darkness and brought me into his kingdom of marvelous light. I bring the tithes and the offerings because Christ has set me free. Turn to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians two. Look at what he says about our state before we were saved. He says, as for you, you were dead in trespasses and sin. That's us. In which you used to live and follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who now works in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of wrath. He's describing our condition. We lived in this dark kingdom of darkness and, and, and wickedness and sinfulness. All I could do was follow my own lust. That's where I used to live. That's what I used to be like. But look at the next verse. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, and it is by his grace we have been saved. Listen to me, all born-again Gentiles are, according to the word of God, former aliens and strangers. 
He says that in Ephesians chapter 2. Mentioned in, we're the ones that glean from the corners of the field of the nation of Israel. We are the Ruth. We are the ones who had nothing. We are the ones who gleaned from the corners in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We benefited from Israel not harvesting to the edge or corners of the field. The Bible says in Romans, we were grafted into the vine. You follow me here? And we have found the bread of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you this in God's word. Jump down to verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We're the foreigners in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy that he said, whatever you do, when you plant your field, when you reap your field, leave the corners for the who? The foreigners and the strangers. Who does Ephesians say we were? We were those strangers. We are those former uh, foreigners. Uh, and now we reap from the gleanings of the nation of Israel and we have found the Lord Jesus Christ. We were once strangers. Now we are a part of the covenants of God. This should motivate us then to bring in the tithes, the first fruit of our harvest. I bring the first 10% of my income into the church because I want to be a part of the harvest. I want to be a part of reaching the lost. And also, I will not forget the strangers and the poor and the fatherless. I need to leave the corners of my field as offerings to reach those who are less fortunate. God has a purpose for your time, for your talents, and for your money. It is to reach this world. Mm, few people believe that. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm going to give you all a chance. God has a purpose for your time and your talents and your resources. It is strictly to reach this world. It's not about so I can have a bigger house. If you got a bigger house, fine. I don't, God doesn't care. I don't care. No one cares. That's not why he blesses you. He blesses us so we can reach the harvest. He told them when you come back at Pentecost, don't come before me empty-handed. God is passionate about hurting people. And when we give through the church, we play a part in fulfilling the purposes of God. At Faith Assembly of God, we have launched four campuses in the last five years. Why do you do that? People say, Pastor, why are you launching these other campuses? Because we are reaching neighborhoods where people can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can take you to those campuses, and there are all kinds of new people who are there who were never coming before, never part of a church, but now they're connected to a local body of believers New churches attract new people. And so we can effectively expand our outreach by strategically planning brand new campuses. And there are more in the works. We also operate a massive food bank. Massive food banks both at Remount Road and in Monk's Corner. What are we doing? We're giving the corners of our fields for what God has blessed us with to help literally feed those who are hungry, feed those who have no food, feed those who have nothing to eat. You saw some of the video of we are now feeding five football teams every Friday night before their home games. 
It is every single one of our campuses. We are reaching out. We bring them in. Cane Bay football team, you ought to see those guys eat. They can eat some food. And they go through that line. They're piling it up, and we're feeding, and we're serving it out, and we're investing in that outreach to that local high school. And then I get to stand up, or Pastor Jonathan gets to stand up, or one of the other youth leaders stand up, and we get to preach the word of God to about 60 high school students uh, who probably don't go to church anywhere. It is about reaching our world. It's about being change agents. We have missions trips. We just got back from a mission trip. We will be going again next year to Costa Rica. We had a family missions trip this year to the Mississippi Delta. We took a team of 20-some people, went down, families together, uh, helping those in need, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, working in some of those impoverished areas. Uh, We'll be going to Costa Rica, doing a full medical clinic, going into the jungles, going to the outer reaches where they have no medical care provision, taking dentists, eye doctors, taking uh, doctors and nurses, taking construction workers as we'll build a church for them before we leave so that, that every new convert can have a place that they can be discipled. To me, that's exciting. That's why we do missions. That's why we go out so we can literally be world changers. Your giving, when you give, helps us to reach the strangers because the Bible says we ourselves were at one time strangers and foreigners to the household of God. Are you getting why we give? Is it, is it, this is why you invest in changing your world. So at Pentecost and today, don't come empty-handed because there is an incredible harvest still to be brought in. The second thing I want you to notice, notice that this harvest was an inclusive harvest. Let me go back to the Feast of Pentecost, and I've got to hurry. I can just notice the clock, but we'll get there, people. Stay. Don't leave me now. They took two loaves. They baked these loaves. They poured oil on top of each of the loaves, symbolic, of course, in the Old Testament, throughout the Word of God, of the the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And just like on that day of Pentecost, when they were lifting up those loaves covered in oil, the oil of the Spirit of God was being poured out in that temple. They held these two loaves up as a wave offering before God. It was a part of their Pentecost celebration. What do the two loaves represent? The two loaves represent Jew and Gentile alike, now a part of this new family of God. When the Israeli farmer left the gleaning of his fields, he did not know who would come along to the corners of those fields and glean in those corners. That wasn't up to him. All God said is, you leave the corners. Any stranger Foreigner, widow, poor, fatherless, orphan, whatever. Let them go to the corners of your field and get what they want. He never said that they could choose who would be allowed into their corners. Pentecost is all about inclusion. Whosoever will may come. Regardless of what they look like, what their past is, what they've been through, how messed up they are, how they smell, how they look. It doesn't matter to God. He says, my table is open for anyone. We preach Christ crucified and we leave the results to him. We sow the seed. We scatter the seed. And then God selects. God's plan for Israel was in Isaiah 49.6. He told Israel from early on in their existence, and I will make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That was prophesied by Isaiah. That was fulfilled then, began to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. You have this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was always intended to go, not just in Jerusalem, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. They start out in Jerusalem. Those 120 believers, mostly Jewish, are all gathered together there. And they would have probably been content to maybe hang and stay in Jerusalem. But God allows something to come along. Not only is it the power of the Holy Spirit, he sends persecution. And that persecution begins to scatter that early church because they were slow in moving out. So he said, I'll get you out of there. And the persecution comes. 
And they begin to move out. And Philip goes to Samaria and preaches the word of God. And Peter in Acts 10 goes to Cornelius' house at Caesarea by the sea a Roman soldier, a Gentile, and then the apostle Paul is saved and it goes to Greece and it goes to Macedonia and it goes to Italy and it goes as far as Spain and he is reaching around to the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, The Holy Spirit all throughout the book of Acts is tearing down the walls of hostility that divided Jew and Gentile, Jew and Samaritan, uh, Jew and whoever else uh, that separated them. Uh, He says the walls are coming down, Uh, prejudice is coming down every now nationality, every language, every religion, every race were beginning to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this gospel is inclusive. And we scatter the seed and we leave our gleanings and whosoever will may come. Number three, there is also incredible joy in bringing in the harvest Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17, he describes how they were to come at Pentecost. Listen to this. This is so, so neat. And at the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Pentecost was also called the Feast of Weeks for seven sevens, seven weeks, 50 days after seven sevens plus one was 50 days after Passover. And at the Feast of Weeks and the Feast Festival of Tabernacles, which would occur a little bit later, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way God has blessed you. So this is when you are going to talk about bringing in the harvest, and you're going to come and celebrate my feast, my Pentecost, my tabernacles, don't come empty-handed. Listen, has God blessed you? Has he forgiven you? Has he saved you? Has he set you free from sin? Has he delivered you from bondage? Has he provided everything you need in this life? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. If God has done that for you, don't come empty-handed. It's about the harvest. All Israel was involved in the harvest and in the feast. Now there's another analogy here, and I, wanna, I, want, I want you to get this as well. We're talking about the harvest and them bringing in the first fruits of their harvest. But I will also say this. The work of evangelism is not just for the preachers, not just for the ministers, not just for the talented, not just for super Christian who may have the gift of evangelism, not just for the educated, but every believer should be involved in bringing in the harvest. So when you go out there, you're telling people, guess what the Lord did for me? I once was bound, but now I'm free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Uh, Let me tell you how you can know Jesus Christ. And then you bring them with you back into church and say, here's my new believer, my next door neighbor, who I just led to God. Don't come empty-handed. Bring somebody with you. Don't come by yourself. Don't come and sit in your same seat, same pew, same thing every week around the same five people you know in church. Don't come empty-handed. Bring somebody. Bring in the harvest. When the Holy Spirit, listen to this, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, when that person of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he didn't come empty-handed. He brought with him 3,000 men and women who would give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are saved in one day and baptized. How many were killed at the base of Mount Sinai? 3,000. Remember when the destruction came and the plague came because they worshiped the golden calf? The Old Testament is very clear to tell us how many died on that day. 3,000 died. How many did the Holy Spirit bring with him on that day of Pentecost? 3,000 are saved. Oh, there's so much, so much, so much. And for every alien and foreigner brought in, 
They came because someone refused to come empty-handed. My grandfather, Leonard Lane, was, was the first on his side to, to get saved. My granddaddy. He was, he was a smoker, a drinker, a gambler. And God gloriously saved him in a revival. And he gave his life to God. He had six kids. Every Sunday he would go to church. He would take his six children with him and anybody else he could bring and get to come. And he always brought his tithes and his offerings because he wanted to be a part of bringing in the harvest. And so he trusted God, he believed God, very poor, but God took care of my grandfather and all of his kids. His oldest was a lady by the name of Pauline Lane. That was my mother. And so she was also saved at a fairly early age in life, and she married my dad, Donald Edward Burbacher. And dad and mom had the very same heart that my grandfather Lane had. And so when they could take us to church, they would take their children every single week. We didn't have a choice. It wasn't like, I don't feel like it today. Get out of bed. You're going to, they drug us to church. We were there. We never missed revivals, services, whatever. It didn't matter. And dad always brought an offering and he gave his tithes regularly on a regular basis. He never, ever came empty-handed. I remember us going by. Pastor Rosenberg would call and say, somebody needs a ride. Can you pick them up? Sure, we'll go around and get them. And I remember taking this, this, some of these college guys and bringing them into the church. And we'd all come and we'd sit there and we'd be in church. I started that same track with my own children. Now, here's what I want to tell you about. Because Granddad Lane sowed in the kingdom of God spiritual seeds, he said there's some seed that falls on good ground. And that good ground seed will yield 40 and 60 and some 100%. Follow me here closely. Now, because of Granddad Lane's sowing seed two generations ago into the ground, we have now 3,000 people that worship at our five campuses called Faith Assembly of God. Listen to me. I have a son who is pastoring in Florida. I have another son who's pastoring on North Campus, and I have a daughter on the mission field in Nepal. And out of this church, we now have sent out probably 10 to 12 missionaries ourselves. Uh, we have 130 missionaries we support all around the world, all because Grandan Lane said, I am not going, I am not going into the house of God empty-handed. <laughs> Hallelujah to God, to God be all the glory. Romans 1, 14 and 15, the apostle Paul writes, I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Listen, we have a dual obligation. I am obligated first to God because Jesus Christ saved me by his own blood and set me free from sin. And so my obligation is first and foremost to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is second, I'm obligated to everybody else whom God loves. So I am obligated to you. I'm obligated to my next door neighbor. I'm obligated to those who are around me in my sphere of influence. I am obligated to them by the grace of God in me. There's incredible joy in bringing in the harvest. Very quickly, number four, there's power for the harvest. I read Acts 1.8, and you receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Those early disciples were filled with such power. They were set free from the fear of people. And so those same ones who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ and had Peter hiding out for his life in a courtyard denying he even knew the Lord on three different occasions uh, now is given courage by that powerful Holy Spirit of God and he stands up on the day of Pentecost and he said, this Jesus who you crucified, he himself is the Lord of glory. You crucified him, but God raised him up. God overturned whatever you meant for evil. And he preaches the gospel and 3,000 are saved. Now, that was the day of Pentecost. Let me tell you a personal conviction. I believe every generation needs a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be filled with that power of the Holy Spirit of God so that we, too, can bring in the harvest. 
We need that renewal of the body of Christ to prayer and holiness and servanthood. We need to catch his vision to reach the world. I'm going to cut this short today. You're not going to get it all, but turn to John 4. I want you to get this. John 4, 35 to 38. Listen to this. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crops for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now he sees a day coming when the harvest will be coming in so quick that you'll have the sower sowing the seed and the reaper coming right behind him just as fast as he can sow it. We're in that age, I believe. Listen, people are hungry, they're lost, they're miserable, they need Jesus. Just tell them, just tell them. Thus the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. It's true. I sent you to to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, for you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Listen, you can't afford to come into his presence empty-handed. The only investment you will make is for eternal life. Matthew chapter 6 says, Lay not treasure down on the earth, but lay treasure up in heaven. Lay treasure up in heaven. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? You invest in souls. And every soul that is saved, every soul that is an eternal being that will live with Jesus Christ forever because you gave, because you told them, because you were a world changer, because you sent somebody, you have a part in that reward uh, and you have not come empty-handed before the Lord. So I want to challenge you, listen to me, invest your time and your talents and your resources in that only which will live forever and that's other people other people. We have a vision at Faith Assembly of God. We have a vision at Faith Assembly that goes beyond this local location right here. We have a vision that reaches out literally all around the world. We have a vision to plant more campuses and more services at our existing campuses. Why? Because we want to bring in the harvest and reach souls for the kingdom of God. We have a vision to to build churches and send missionaries all around the world. That's why we go and that's why we give. We have a vision to pray for our world and to intercede for our world. uh, And we're praying to be world changers. We have a vision that we ourselves will be salt and light and reach out to this community with compassion and we won't glean the corners of our field but we'll leave them for those who are still foreigners and strangers to the kingdom of God. We have a vision to reach out like never before because I believe we are living in great, great harvest days and and I want to be a part of it more than anything else. (laughs) Next month, We are starting a series that is strictly designed for the unchurched. Now I want you to come. You need to hear the word. There'll be application, of course, for all of us. Anytime you go to the word of God, there's something to be learned and gleaned from and grow from. But next month, we are bringing everybody we can to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to bring them in. I want you to invite them to come. I want you to get them to sit with you. I want you to pick them up. I want you to bribe them by saying, I'll take you out to lunch. Do whatever it takes. Get them into church. It's especially designed for the unchurched. The name of the series is entitled At the Movies. November is, and December are rating months for the movie theaters, and and it explodes, and it's kind of the last of the year crunch when everybody tries to get in. You know, there's something about the human mind, there's something about us that we love a good story. We love a good story, and that's why movies are so popular. That's why books are so popular. We want to follow the storyline. We want to see what happens to the hero. We want to see what takes place. We want to pull the lesson out of it. We want to learn from that. And so we are drawn to these kinds of media venues. And so in every service, we're going to have a different movie we're going to talk about and show some clips from. And keep in mind, it's not for you. It's for the lost. I've got tickets in the foyer. Right here. First one next week is Inside Out. Just a, just a funny story, but we're going to bring you to the Word of God. We're going to talk about how you can be saved, how Jesus Christ will change your heart and change your life from the inside out. And I want you to be, as you're on your way out the door, we got them at, the well, at, at both information tables sitting out there. 
I want you to go by and grab some of these tickets that are made to look like a movie ticket. Now, if you said, hey, I'm going to take you to a movie, who wouldn't say, yeah, I'm ready to go, sign me up, take and pay for me. It's like $15 at Regal Cinema now, Cinema, or wherever it's at. You know, it's, it's expensive to go to the movies. And buy the popcorn and get, get the, some of you guys get the biggest tub they got, and uh, you get all the, the, the Cokes, and it, you'll spend $50 on food to, you know, to watch a $10 movie. And so, you know, it's kind of crazy out there. But you're going to take these tickets today, and you're going to go out, and you're going to invite someone to come. How many will do that? How many are going to be on board with me? I'm not going to come next week empty-handed. I'm bringing somebody with me to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to take a look at this trailer, and then we're going to stand and pray together. Go ahead, show it to us if you would. I bet you and Riley had great adventures. He's 50 million miles away from home. He thinks he's totally alone. He thinks we gave up on him. And what does that do to a man psychologically? That lightsaber was Luke's and his father's before him. And now he calls to you. Your father was special. Tell you the truth, I don't know if he's special. Only you're going to know that. And it ain't going to come overnight. You're going to take this, you're going to get knocked out, you're going to get up, and you're going to see if you got the right thing. some remarkable stories, but let me tell you, the greatest story ever told is the Word of God. We want them to come in and hear the Word of God and hear how they can be changed and saved by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.